All right, guys, welcome. Um, it's the first, or the first episode. Finally, finally, we've made it. Let's get, let's push a button. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> we did it. It's the first episode. I'm so excited, Alex. Man, I'm, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm jumping inside my chest. My heart's literally about to jump out of my chest. As y'all can see, I've got my own logo going on my shirt. I tried to get Alex to wear his. I he I was going to too it. good to wear it, <laughs> so he decided not to wear it. Um, anyways, guys, welcome to the first episode of Ignite Your Faith. Uh, I'm Jason. This is Alex, and uh, we are the Bearded Christians. Alex, first of all, man, I really want to say thank you. Um, you're the one that's really helped me pull this off. You've helped pull it all together and make it right, um, along with the church that would be Messenger Church in Fenton, uh, Missouri. But, man, big thank you. I really appreciate your help on this. This is uh, fantastic. It's kind of a dream come true, in all honesty. Well, no, man, it's it's been... Uh... I've had it on my mind all week. Doing a podcast has kind of been um, in the back of my mind. So when you came at me with the opportunity, it just kind of God seems like God put things together just right. So um, I'm glad to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I, and honestly, um, I am very introverted. So when it comes to actually doing small talk with people, so if everybody wants to go, hey, what happened on the Blues game? I'm like, eh. But when it comes to doing something like this, I can honestly sit here and carry on a conversation because it, it's deep thought. Um, I can get, I can dive deep into my brain and actually, actually pull things out and discuss Absolutely. important topics. So yeah. um, this is right up my alley, and I, I'm really looking forward to doing this. Um, so as promised, we had talked about doing testimonies. Um, today we're going to, I think just stick with Alex's testimony. Um, I think he's got enough in there. Mine's really kind of just, eh, um, I think Alex has me beat in the testimony area. <laughs> no, there's no, let, let, let me say, say this. And I was, we, we were talking before, beforehand, everybody's experience is different. And there's people out there that will relate to his experience that won't relate to mine. There's people that will relate to mine that won't relate to his. And, and the whole purpose of this with, with igniting our faith, we can't get like one person's testimony is a little better than the other. We're just on different journeys at different times. And we've all been through stuff, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've been next week, hopefully, We'll be getting into his testimony, and I'm going to pick a little bit, and I bet you it's a lot more interesting than what he's actually um, giving credit to himself. I for. don't know about all that. I'll <laughs> let y'all y'all can be the judge of that one. We'll see. Um, we'll see what goes on with that. But uh, I guess let's go ahead and get into it, man. Um, let's uh, let's dive down that that hole and see see where you're at with it, man. Absolutely. Start wherever you want to start at. Where to begin? Um, let's see. So. If, if y'all know, um, I grew up here at, here at Messenger Church. I was, I was, um, we moved here when I was from Mississippi. Whenever I was, um, four years old, we were on the road. My dad was, he, he was an, an evangelist. We lived in a motorhome, me, my mom, and my two, my two brothers. Then, then we took the church here. And I've grown up in church. As they say, um, I cut my teeth on the back, on the pews of the church. So very, very young, started preaching very, very young. Um, all throughout high school, at school, I was the introvert. I didn't have, I had some friends. I had people that I hung out with, but I didn't have a core group of friends. Church was my core group of friends. That's just how I grew up. My senior year of high school, I'm just going to fast forward all the way to there. Um, my senior year of high school, I got into, um, wanted to try smoking, smoking pot. Um, now I, and we can get into this later. It'll be interesting. I don't subscribe to, 
uh, pot or weed being the the gateway drug, and we, we can talk about that, especially with addiction in a, in a second. But it was my introduction to substances overall. Then it was alcohol, and then um, not long after that, um, it was it was heroin. And I re- I remember honestly, I um, I started my first drugs. And within six to nine months from not touching a thing to using for the first time, within eight or nine months, I was shooting heroin. Oh, wow. So there was no um, I'm an all-in or nothing type of person. And whenever I did drugs, um, I took my first hit, my first drink, and then within six to nine months, I would stick a needle in my arm. That's crazy. Um, I I was all in. I loved getting getting high that's what i wanted to do so i um started doing that and then right after high school um i went to college down to messenger bible college i made it one semester got put on disciplinary probation um the first semester got kicked out my second semester like you said (laughs) you go all the way no i do i do and it, it was a funny story though um I don't think this will get me in trouble. So I got into a bunch of trouble. I had, um, they found pot on me at the, on the, on the campus. Uh, it fell out of my pocket and somebody told on me. And then I had also, uh, I pranked a whole bunch of people, uh, and different things. And so I got in trouble for that. One of the last things, it's completely off, off the subject, but one of the last things I was in, we were in the guy's dorm and I was in the shower and I came out of the shower, had my bathrobe robe on. And a bunch of the dudes threw me outside in the snow. And so there was, um, oh, I guess I can say this stuff. And so this girl um, was walking to the girl's dorm, and I had my bathrobe on, and I didn't show her anything. But she saw, I kind of said it was a friend, I thought. And um, well, I might not should be talking about this on here. But, and so I went, and I flung open the side of my bathrobe, and all she saw was the top part of my leg. you got to remember, this is... Years ago, when things were more straight. You, you decided to flash the flesh. Yeah, but it, it, it wasn't really flesh. It was the top part of my leg. Anyway, she got offended. Um, she went and told on me, and that was the final straw. So, wait, we're not talking about today, because the easily everybody gets offended now. You show some leg. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was, this was in 2002, uh, 2003, 2002, something, something like that. So, it was, it was, what, 15 years ago, maybe? <clears throat> excuse, excuse me. So, I get kicked out. Um, I come home. And it is just, um, full on, um, whatever I can get my, whatever I can get my hands on, um, just anything I could get my hands on, I would, I would do any pills, tripping, ecstasy, everything. And then I was introduced to heroin. Um, if you're from the St. Louis area, right over an apartment complex, about five minutes down the road from, from, from here. It was really interesting because, um, it was me, a buddy, and he was a good friend too, even though he introduced me to heroin. He grew up in church in a Pentecostal church. We had these, all, he wasn't a pastor's kid, but we had the exact same childhood. And he had never touched, he, he was known at school for not, uh, do it for the kid that would not do drugs. And he went from not doing anything to doing heroin. Right? Wow. Exactly. So we had, we had, we That's had. a heck of a jump. We had, we had really similar stories, but we were there in this parking lot. And another buddy came up and, uh, not to get deep into it, but we were, he was breaking it down. 
And he said, why do you want to do, do, do this? And I said, I don't know. And he said, um, he was already addicted. This, this individual, he's not alive anymore. He committed suicide. Not, not, not long after this, but, but he, um, he said, uh, he said, it brings back a lot of memories. He said, uh, this isn't something that you want to get hooked on. He said, and it was like he was, as he was breaking it down for me, he was telling me, bro, you don't want to do this, right? Within six months or, or a year, this individual will, would take his own, his, his own life. And so at that time, I started snorting heroin. Um, and then literally with, it went from snorting heroin to like within a month, I was shooting heroin. Um, and when you start shooting drugs, it goes to a whole nother, um, it, it, nothing after that, nothing matches up to it, right? Because I've done all drugs after I started shooting drugs, but nothing compared to mainlining a drug. It just, it doesn't, nothing did. And so anything that you got your hands on after that, whether it was cocaine, whether it was meth, whether it was um, just pills that you could break down, you wanted to mainline everything. And so you become just addicted to the method of using as you do to the drug itself, which is, gotcha. which is, it's, it's really interesting, but, but you'll, you'll hear that a lot. Mainlining drugs is, is, is a whole different level. So then, um, I started mainlining. Um, I stopped for a little bit and on 21st birthday, um, went out for 21st birthday, started drinking, um, I don't remember the night at, at, at all. Just I know that I totaled five cars and made it from U City to Kirkwood. And along the way, I hit a car, backed up, hit another car, and I ended up. And here's where God was involved. The last car that I hit, their car had just been stolen, and it was a rental in their driveway. And if the car wouldn't have been there, which the car hadn't been there for days because their car was stolen, right. if the car had not have been there, my car would have been in their little kid's bedroom on top of the bed. Oh, right, that's horrible. I know. So I I hit them. I back up. Uh, my car's not run. It's not my car, anyways. I took a friend's car, <laughs> so none of the, none of my my cars made it down. All the airbags are out. I splintered the windshield with my head, and I picked up my first felony before leaving the scene of an, of, of an accident. That was my introduction into um, the criminal system. When I was 19, me and some friends got busted with an eight ball of cocaine, but he, um, the guys whose it was, he told the cops that it was his. So me and my friends, we didn't have to, um, we, we were all out for his birthday or my birthday on my 19th birthday. On my 21st, I get arrested again, catch my first felony. I went from heroin to alcohol back to heroin. After that, um, that's where the story goes dark, dark. Um, and this time, people ask, like, why, they ask addicts, um, why can't you quit? Or why don't you quit for a person? Why didn't you quit for your parents? Why didn't you quit before you, and when you're in the middle of addiction, um, there, you get in this tunnel vision and nothing else exists, Right. There's no choice if nothing else exists, right? So all you have is the drug. Right. The family, the kids, the people, they don't exist in this world, right? 
all that exist they exist after the high comes but until i get high it's literally like there's blinders and nothing else exists and so it's not like people are choosing drug over family it's until they get that drug they're locked in that tunnel vision. nothing i mean the family doesn't exist and and i know it's really hard for people to explain that that don't battle ad- addiction because to the rational mind, to the rational person, like, wait, they always exist. You're always making a right. decision. But to the addict in, in your brain, there's no, they don't exist. Right. But then in your heart and when the high comes down, you're, you're faced with the reality that they do exist. And right. you are hurting them. And then you get high to not feel the hurt that you're so it's just this this perpetuating cycle over and over and over again. So let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. Would you say that that's so that the drug actually chemically alters the mind for a temporary for uh literally just through the actual buzz or the high that it will actually continual continual use will will, will rewire the the brain. Right? Got you. And make it more permanent? Oh, not permanent. Uh more uh, Oh, I got what you're saying. Okay. So just, it, it actually it, just at that point Yes. Now, it, and we can get into that. It, it's it depends on your view of it. Some people call it a disease, and that's where the chemical changes are viewed as permanent changes. Um, and then some people view it as a learning process that can be unlearned. Gotcha. And so it depends on your view. But um, prolonged use changes the chemical makeup of the brain. Yes, and that's been proven with neuroimages over and over and over again. Gotcha. So whether that so that's yes so. Um, it feeds itself. Um, also, a cool a cool thing is initiation of the drug has a lot to do with your social environment, right? So your family, the people that you hang out with, the maintenance of the drug. There's been studies that have shown that it's more um, connected. There's there's a genetic connection, right? So you and me do drugs, right? Um, we hang out all the time. We say both of our families do drinking and drugging. Um, we do drugs. What makes you be able to stop and me now trigger something that doesn't allow me to stop? That has been, that's the maintenance. So the, the continuation of the drug after the initiation phase has a, there is a, they're showing some sort of genetic connection. Now, not that there's a, an addict gene, but there's some predisposition in the genetics that makes some people, um, more predisposed to continuing the behavior after the initi- the initiation of the, of right. the, the, the So basically you're saying that, um, some, that the genetics actually helps somebody become uh, addicted and allows for that phase to set in in their life versus somebody else in that family, that same family, that same genetic makeup would actually be able to exactly. distance themselves yeah, from it can, and be like, I'm done. Yeah, so your your environment works upon your genetic that um, directs you or can influence you in particular pathways. It's not concrete. You don't have to li- li- to listen to it, right. but it makes it harder. No, but that's actually very interesting. Okay, um, so I start doing um, doing heroin. We start on this dark path. Um, at this time, um, I'm living at my parents' house. Um, my parents had to put locks on everything, right? So their closets have locks on them. One of their closets even has a keypad lock. Um I would break in windows. I would, um, I would just steal. I needed to get high 
And if I couldn't do it on my own, or at this time I wasn't doing what I would do to make money, that put me in prison all those times. But at this time, it was just I was an opportunist to the ones that were closest to me, right? Right. And so I would um, I'd steal from from my parents. Um, I have a tattoo on my leg. Um, this leg, it's a it's a snake head, and it's got a dagger cutting it and cutting it in, 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 into. My first time going to rehab. Um, my parents said, if you steal anything again, you're going to have to go to to rehab. My mom found a um, a chunk of black tar heroin up in my room. And she said, Alex, you're going to rehab. Long story short, I go to rehab. I come out, and I ask my mom, where's this chunk at? A dealer, I owe dealer money, and i gotta got to give it back, back to her. Just trying to make up some story. Of course, rehab didn't work. I only made it two weeks, right? come back the day i get back i'm trying to finagle ways to get high again right so i asked my mom um where is the i i this dealer's asking for me either i have to give him money or i have to give the heroin back and, right. right and so she's trying to figure out if i'm lying if i'm telling the truth and, right right and so i finagle this whole thing up where i get it back and stuff but and i'm supposed to go drop 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 it off but in that time she says alex i had a dream right she said, in the dream, I go to pick up that baggie of heroin, and when I go to grab it, it's a baggie wrapped around the head of a snake. Right? Interesting. Right. My entire childhood, I had a reoccurring dream of being chased by a snake or snakes my entire childhood. Same house, same place, same type of snake, same everything. So my whole childhood, I have a recurring dream of being chased by snakes. I get addicted to heroin. In my mom's dream, the heroin is the snake. The snake is the heroin, right? And this tattoo on my leg is a snake with its head chopped off. And I told the tattoo artist, permanent vacation tattoo, St. Charles, Missouri. I told uh, Big, St- uh, Big Joe Cumbie, I told, uh, I told um, Joe, I said, I want a tattoo, um, and I want the snake to look mean and vicious, but I want him dead, Right, because it symbolizes the addiction was mean, it's scary, it hurt, but it's dead, right, and so that and so this started that time. I go to rehab for for the first time, two weeks later, I'm out um, I've been to five rehabs total, um a bunch during this time is whenever um I make a mental shift. I don't know if most addicts probably don't do this, but I'm tired of hurting my parents directly. Not that I ever really stopped stealing from them the whole times, because there was times when when I I still would um, up until I went to prison. But for the majority of it, I I moved into a house on the on the south side, um, and I would get money in other means, right? And I would steal. That's how I would steal. Um, I was what they call a booster. So I'd go into stores, I steal merchandise, and I would resell it. And this is how I supplied my addiction for years. I'm a nine-time convicted felon. Half of those are stealings. Um, the other half are drugs. And so that's um, I started stealing and doing all that stuff. Um, I go to prison. They send me to county jail for the first time. I talk to um, a guy that's been in and out of prison for a while, Scarface, and uh he says, um, he tells me, he said, hey, if you're not planning on quitting, it's better just to go to prison instead of go back on probation. 
I said, well, he said, if you go to prison in the state of Missouri, your first time, you're only going to do 20% in anyways. He said, your, your first bit, you're looking at three or four, four, four years. He said, in the state of Missouri, they can't restart your parole time, which means if you get four years, four years from your sentence date, um, no matter how many times you come back to prison, as long as you don't catch new charges, four years from your prison date, you're free from the courts. If you they put you on probation, they can't put you on probation for more than five years, but they can restart it as many times as they want for violations within that five years. You don't go to parole, you pee dirty, um, any of that stuff. You you can have, there's people that would be on probation, have five years probation, end up being on probation for 10, 15 years because the state would keep starting it back. Right. Then the state gets paid back then $30 every single month. So probation helps. <laughs> to put an addict on probation and not help them is you're just making yourself money, right? Because you know you're coming back. You know they're going to prison. And as long as they keep asking for probation, which, um, like, the first time the first time you get you get sentenced, they give you probation. Second time you get sentenced, um, no matter how long you get done, you might get a – they're going to require you to go to a 30-day outpatient, right? Then let's say you get you get in trouble again. They might make you do uh, what they call an, an, an 84 and out. That means you go to a 120-day drug rehab within the state of Missouri, and then um, if you're good in 84 days, you get out. Then you can go back and do six months after that, and then you can go back and do a year after a, a, after that, right? This whole time, they're making money off of you being in the system. So my buddy tells me, he said, so if you don't plan on quitting, just take your time, go to prison, and as long as you don't pick up new charges in four years, um, you're you're done, right? And so I was two weeks, two months, maybe two weeks into my county jail sentence, and I went to court, and the the prosecutor came out and said probation, and we'll let you. And I said, no, ma'am, tell him I want I want prison time. And she said, what? I said, yeah. I said, just send 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 me to. I'll go ahead and take my my, my time. So I took my my time. I did ten months my first time to prison, but I was on parole now and not probation. Right. And it's it's different. I don't know why I got into all that, but it's if you're in the the Missouri criminal system, that's how it that's how it works. So all right, so I go back and forth uh, to prison. I go to prison the first time. I get out, and this is how the addict, the addict mind works. There's a saying that goes um, in the spoon by noon, right? So in prison, you get released. Um, I think you can be released at midnight that night, but I would just get picked up the next morning. Um, you get picked up the next morning. I had a needle in my arm by noon that same day, right? So you really come out of prison. The day you get out, you're shooting up drug, drugs. Right. Because there's no desire to quit. I was not – I didn't play, right? If I'm an addict, I'm an addict. I don't I, – I, I had accept in my life what I thought was my life at this time. Um, go to prison a second time. I get out the second time. Do I try to do clean? No. That same time, um, I'm doing drugs. That same day, I, I get out. And mind you, so I'm going to ask you right here, there's, yeah. and there is no help from the state to help you clean up at this point that you're in and out of the system? Um, I haven't been sentenced to it yet. Gotcha. I mean, if I was sentenced to it, um, yeah. So I feel like this is a big problem, and I'm not trying to get all political and stuff, but mm -hmm. I feel like with our, our correction, they're not even correction systems. They literally are just there to make a multi-billion dollar industry is literally mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah. You know, they funnel people out, they funnel people back in. Absolutely. The same people are going to come right back into the system. Yeah. And like I said, not to get political and everything, but it is the truth. It's, it's, well, it's designed not, it, to make money, yeah. not correction, not 
not literally help people become better. There's no, and there's nothing pol- political as as calling it what it is, right? Because right. Because it's it's very much, um, especially now, because there's so much science. Let's just deal with just the issue of addiction. I'm against the criminality of drugs, right? I have no problem saying that because I don't believe it's the answer, right? right. I don't believe prison for drug addicts is the answer because you're just you're furthering the same reason why they do it. Now, let's use me as a, as an example, right? I would I I would steal in order to get drugs. Now, should I have been sent to prison for my theft? Absolutely, I did the crime. Should I be been sentenced because, like one time, I had to go back to prison because uh, a cop found a little residue of somebody else's in a spoon in my car and it violated me. Right now, some other stuff popped popped up too, but that was that was the 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 it actually caught me a, a another felony because of some residue of a spoon right um if they wanted to help me they would have they would have maybe tried to put me in a treatment program like i was the, right. very, the very last time which was um years into it it was my it was my third bit that time um that one uh and we can discuss why that works let let's get to that i mean i'll get to that whenever whenever we get in well, I guess we're getting there now. We're there now. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, so I go um, in and out of rehab, into prison multiple times. Um, I do six months in the county jail. Um, at this time, oh, let me step back. Okay, so I'm in a service here, and I've told this multiple times, but I'll tell it here. Um, I'm in a service here. My brother is the one preaching, and I'm sitting up there, and I've got a. I think I've got a friend coming. To pick me up to go get high, I don't know, but all that was on my mind was getting high. And I was full-blown in my addiction at still shooting dope every day. Um, and I'm sitting up there, my brother's preaching, I'm just like, can we please get done with this service? And literally the whole service, there's like this, um, if you want to call it like a, like a bubbling or a bursting coming up in my chest. And, I'm, and in my, I'm a very visual thinker, so it's like this spout that's coming up and I'm literally pushing it down. Push in up, and so um, tears so are streaming you're talking down like my almost face. Like an outburst, getting yeah. ready to come out. Like, oh, go! no, well, no, no, no! Telling me to go down to the altar gotcha. and give okay. and give my life back. Gotcha. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it was this thing that because I kept saying, "Not yet. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready." Gotcha. So um, finally, my brother grabs the mic. He, they're about to close the service, and he says, "Hold up. There's still somebody here." Um, that needs that I can't close it yet. And at this time, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so finally I was like, okay. So I walked down and I'm bawling, crying my, my, my eyes out. And, um, after that service, um, I gave my heart back to God that next morning I was getting high again. Right. Right. But I considered my journey, Starting that night, it was ignited. Yes, exactly. The fire, <laughs> the fire was was ignited that night. Over the next two years, I went back to prison. Then I went back to prison my last time. I went to Ozark Correctional Center in Springfield, Missouri, um, what they call a behavior modification camp. And whenever I was there, um, like you wake up at six in the morning, you're marching and chanting, um, like like mil- military style. You're in groups. Every single day, there's like they have the DOC, the Department of Corrections, part of the prison. Then within that, there's also a counselor side, and there's a psychiatrist that runs that side. Just all this stuff, and so it was there. I was that time I was locked up for 15 months. Twelve of them, I was there at at OCC, 
and then while I was there is when um, I told God, uh, it was the very beginning, near the beginning, because I got in, I, st- I did drugs in, in, diagnose, in prison at the very beginning, when I, whenever I first got locked up. Then not long after, after that, I told God, um, I'll do it your, your way. This entire 15 months, I'll pray, I'll read, I'll study, and um, I'll give it to you. And if I come out a different person, then okay. If I don't, and I come out, and I'm battling this thing, and I go right back in, into using it's done, I'm going all out. I probably would have OD'd or died or, or something at that at, right. the, at that point. Um, and uh, that time, so every morning, I'd wake up at 3 o'clock, 3 or 4 o'clock. Everybody had to be up at 6, and I'd do an hour, two hours of devotion and study. And then we had free time from like 5 to 7, something like that. And I would bring out the Greek uh, dictionaries, and I'd go through, and I was going verse by verse, and I would study for another two or three hours. And I would do that five days a week for a year solid. And um, I started working in the chapel, started started leading worship whenever I, I, was, I, was, I was in there. Um, I preached whenever I was in there. I finished Celebrate Recovery while I was, while I was in there. Um, all of that happened in those and then I came out. Whenever I came out, and then I'll stop because this is where we, um, if we want to ask some some questions. I, I came out, and my dad gave me an opportunity as a job again, right? My dad's the pastor of Messenger Church. And he called other pastors and asked them, what do you think about me um, giving Alex another chance? Because I had, I had messed, like I was, people don't really know how bad off it was when it was off, like, um, Right, but if forever, if ever you're going to get your second chance, you would think this would be the place to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, we just literally talked about how the prison system itself is literally uh, just a, a way of funneling money through the state. Mm-hmm. Literally, mm-hmm. I consider it. Oh, what is it called? Uh, um, oh, when they illegally change money out, uh, laundering. Yeah, I almost consider it a laundering scheme. Yeah, it really yeah, is yeah. because you're picking these guys up. You're not giving them any way to to earn credibility again um and it just it it feeds itself and it's it's kind of disgusting but you would think anywhere else you're going to get a second chance a church would give you no, a second ab- chance absolutely so, so so my dad said alex um start learning the board because i've played music and sang for ever since i was a kid and so he start start learning the soundboard and i want you to start learning social media and all that that stuff he said but here's the deal you're going to work 40 hours a week, but I'm only paying you for 20. You're volunteering the other the other 20. I said, okay, all right. So I got out, and for the first while, um, I volunteered half and I worked half, and uh, and I just started learning social media, how all graphic stuff, music stuff, and from there it went from that to young adults, uh, or from that to helping in, in worship to young adults to youth, um, to now it's. Uh, um, the title is associate pastor. I, I'm not a big title person, but um, <laughs> right. uh, the, it's associate pastor, and it just incorporates. Um, I'm working on my PhD for developmental psychology, focusing right. on on a pathway to addiction. I've got about a year of classes and then a year of my dissertation left. Yeah, you wouldn't even um, let me. You wouldn't even let me label you as Pastor Alex. Here. You're just like, <laughs> no, keep it, Alex. <laughs> And so, um, um, this is, this is, uh, it's been a long, long journey and there's a lot of stuff, you know, it, it would take a long time to unpack any, everything, but that's, that's kind of, um, the gist and uh, along this podcast, I talk about myself a lot. So I'm, I'm sure 
more stories. Oh, we're going to get more out of you. Yeah, more, <laughs> more, because there are some cool, you know, prison stories or some old, old stories that are very interesting and, and stuff and stuff like that. So that's the, that's in a nutshell, that's, that's my testimony. So I guess one of the most important questions I want to ask you is, can you go into a little bit more depth? How did you overcome your addiction? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, that's actually a hard question. Um, was it that point that you were at church and you felt that, that, like I said, I called it the ignition where God finally was ignited in your heart and you're telling him, nope, nope, not right now. Um, that was the beginning of the journey, but I, nothing was overcome at that point. Right. I, I, I was still, and that's, that's, that's where people need to under, understand that when you get saved, you can be saved and still be in chains. Right. And that's um, just because you're saved inwardly right. doesn't mean you're an outward man is free. And for a lot of people, it's not instant. For me, it wasn't. Um, there's still things that that the roots to why I use that I, the, why I used are still there today, right? And so right. God didn't 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 take them, right? Right. And, and Pastor uh, talks about that too. Yeah, he, that, he quite uh, quite. Quite a bit. Yeah, he yeah. talks about well, Paul. Whenever, whenever Paul says, whenever Paul prayed that the thorn in his flesh, he said he prayed three, three times, and God said, "No, my my grace is sufficient for for you." Whether you think, because there's this, uh, you know, argument, what the thorn in the flesh really was, whether it was a person or whether it was a sickness, to me that really doesn't matter. The fact was he prayed to God to ease his circumstance, and God said, "No, right? I'm not going to take away something that you view." As a hindrance, because sometimes what we view as hindrances right. are God's um, are, are, are God's roadblocks or, or God's, um, you know, when you're going on a, on a mountain, the guardrails, right? Yeah. There, there's sometimes hindrances are just they're, they're God's to keep you on the yeah. path, right? Our hindrances can be God's guard. God, our hindrances can be God's guardrails, gotcha. right? And so, um, so why did I? To overcome addiction, um, I believe it's the uh, because there's a pathway to addiction. It's consistent, consistent commitment to progress on a daily basis. The old AA NA saying is a day at a time. So, was there a point where, over your amount of time and, and your dedication to it, was there a point where it just triggered in your head that man, I've overcome this? Oh no. No, it's just an ongoing battle, a constant. Um, uh, so how to how to unpack that? So because the way I'm kind of looking at it is, you're never perfectly healed. There's, oh man, I don't want to say this the wrong way. I really don't. Um, I, I feel like even though you've conquered that part of the journey, there's still that ability to sidestep off your journey and yeah, go yeah. the wrong way. So it's always in the back of your mind that there's, that's there and it's a, you have to keep that suppressed and you have to keep moving forward. Well, okay. Let, I don't want to use the word suppressed and okay. And, but there's specific why I want to use specific language because okay. Within the disease model and within the disease, um, one of the critiques of the disease model is that if it's disease and it's permanent, it can make the addict feel useless or powerless. Right. Right. Which the first step is admitting your, your, your powerless, but that's a different powerless. It's a powerless to be able, I have the power to admit, right? So there is power, but the powerlessness is your ability to change without help. Right. That's what we're powerless over. We're not powerless in that 
once we use or if we have this disease, it's never like once an addict, always an addict, completely false, right? I'm not an addict. I'm an ex-addict. Right? Yeah, that's why I was trying to dance around. I didn't, I didn't know exactly how to put it, but it, I felt like there was, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain, that there is an ability that you could end up sidestepping and regressing and going back no, into it. No, absolutely. Because, okay, so um, we get into coping mechanisms. How about that? All right, so, <laughs> so addiction is a coping me- mechanism. Right. Whatever level that you want to say it is. To me, addiction is not the problem; it's the symptom, right? Okay. So, if it, but what is modern medicine? Um, they they treat symptoms, right? right. They don't want to get at, at root problems, right? Right. And um, and so with addiction, um, it's a symptom of a problem, and usually it's a symptom of of a coping mechanism. And when we say when we say coping, it's the ability to to come back to homeostasis after a after um, something has entered the environment or your thoughts or yourself that brings you out of balance so 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 addicts use to feel like they're balanced when things in the environment even if there is their own choices it doesn't matter they're not feeling well from whatever it is and so they use in order to achieve balance right so um what was the original question? Uh, it was basically, was there ever a point where um, you felt like you there had we go. conquered? I can always go out of balance if I don't stay di- disciplined. Right. So when you say that. I think we moved into a point where I was trying to explain that I feel like you're never completely over that situation. That there is an ability for it to come back and haunt you. And you can uh, give in to that temptation and veer off your path and then go right back into the situation that you were in. So it's one of those things that you constantly have to make sure that you're keeping I, and I said I use the word suppressed uh-huh. but suppressed isn't the proper word I would say that you have to keep a balance like you said you have to be aware that but this is with everybody's problems it's just addiction is so obvious and in your face but for every single individual that has any issue if you do not recognize I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years and you think you got it all together if you do not stay disciplined in your daily lifestyle right. the issues that you had will come right back right? that makes sense so yeah. so when you ask me are you overcome I'm I'm overcome in the sense that I recognize if I don't stay disciplined, it's right there waiting for me. Here's a good analogy. This is what I use for, for my, myself. Addiction, not what, what made me an addict is a beast inside of me, right? Right. But I like the beast. You just have to feed it properly because it's going to crave what you feed it. If you feed it drugs, it's going to crave the drugs, right? But that same beast creates drive, its focus in other areas. It's the very reasons why I'm successful. Right. But when it's when it's angled or disorder, when it's out of order and going into something else, then it manifests as as addiction, right? And so it's the the same mechanisms that make me an addict when they're directed correctly, when the beast is fit is is in the environment in which it was created. Because I believe that we were addiction happens when we're living beneath what we were created to live. Right? Okay, and we're on a Christian podcast, so let's go ahead and talk about the beast. Okay, because okay. everybody's probably over there going, oh, "This is a Christian <laughs> podcast." Um, so that piece, I call it passion. Oh, no, no, not pe- desire. I'm literally thinking of like a wild tiger, like a wild animal. That okay. is like, like, like I'm literally thinking of a, of, 
um, this tension, this drive, this energy that it's not just passion because it can be it can be put into it's this unease. Okay, th- this is in my head. Th- this is how I see it. You ever been to like a zoo with a tiger or a yeah. lion and, and how they pace? Yeah. How they pace? That's the addict, right? So when it's caged, when it's an environment beneath which it was created, okay. it will then manifest unhealthy behaviors. Okay. Lions in cages are going back and forth. They're waiting for somebody. They're not, they're not happy, right? So that's the addict. Put the beast in the Serengeti. The lion out in in the middle of the of uh, of of Africa, and he's dominating his pride, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, right? So whenever I say uh, to me, we're not talking about the devil. (laughs) Yeah, there's no devil inside of us. (laughs) The things that the things that make the addict the addict also also make uh, it's when it's put in the direct. When it's put in the correct direction, it's a benefit. So there's a, a specific point, uh, a parting of ways where you can either go dark or you can go light. Exactly. You can have passion, drive, success, and all that out of this beast. And then on the other side, if you feed it, like you said, drugs, pornography, um, sex addictions, things like that, you can mm. go down that dark side. Exactly. And that beast becomes that incarnate. So you asked, how have I maintained being uh, sober being on a positive path right right whenever you feeding the beast is the music you listen to it's the shows you watch it's the conversations you have it's the people around you right what are you that the beast itself is going to eat what you feed it right and then it's going to crave the same type of food so if if you're if you're listening to music, that's all about a. I don't care what you deal with. If you deal with depression and you listen to sad music all, all the time, right. you're feeding the beast, right? And he's going to crave what you feed it, right? So what if when you're depressed, you give the beast healthy food, right? It's going to make him feel good, and he's going to learn that I need to crave this. You're going to learn. I need to crave this. And I guess you call the beast the, the flesh, right? Like it's it's what Pastor this morning called it carnality, right? Right. It's this it's this thing inside of you that wants to do bad, but Adam was created with the same desires, right? It's just when you put them when you in insert sin, those desires go 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 the wrong way, right? So the flesh in in and of itself are are our na- I don't mean the flesh as in sin flesh. I mean flesh is in every human's desires, right? right? They're not wrong, right? They're not it's not wrong to feel pleasure. It's not wrong to enjoy life. But it's whenever they're directed in a way that is contrary to the word of God, yes, that's when it absolutely. becomes wrong, right? And so that that's the and the reason that it's contrary to the word of God because the word of God was given to us to live the optimal human existence, right? And I use different different terms, but but God wanted Adam and Eve to experience his highest potential. He fell off. So then he gave us the Bible and then he led us to Jesus. Jesus is what is what we can be, is the ultimate human experience within the context of a fallen world. That's good, man. Jesus, when we try to be like Jesus, we are trying to have the ultimate human experience in a fallen world. And that happens when we not only care about ourselves, and God, but when we are willing to die and to work for others and to help others in a social way, it builds us up. This builds the life upon which we were created to live. 
when you're living beneath the standard that God has for your life, negative consequences are going to manifest. Right. Those negative consequences can be all the sins, right? Addiction, gossip, anything, right? But for me, it was addiction, right? right? I was living beneath what God called me to, and I couldn't handle it. I felt it inside all the trauma and, and trauma and the stuff in your, in, in your past. It's just kinks in the armor that the enemy uses to bring you beneath the standard that God has for you. So to you live. literally needed to find another way to fulfill the rest of that. Exactly. And that was drugs. Yes. Yes. I did. Or it, 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 it it's, it's, the drugs suppressed the negative emotion that I knew. That makes, yeah, that sounds even better. Yeah, yes, it, absolutely. It, the drugs suppressed the negative emotion that was caused by me living beneath the standard that I knew I was created to live. Because I was raised in this, right? Right. I knew it. The Bible says, "The much is given, much is re- required." I was raised in a good past pastor's home. I knew the way, and I chose to go another way. And that coping with that created a cycle and we don't have time to get into the we got genetics. about 10 more minutes here okay that's about it um we'll do one more question All right um and then we'll let them know where everybody can find us uh yeah i mean um so i guess the one more question that i really was um very interested in because we kind of touched base on it a little bit but we kind of didn't and it was more of uh how addiction affected your family um, oh, okay, you did yeah, say yeah. how they were putting locks on everything. Your yeah. mom was like, well, is he telling me the truth? Is he not? Um, I, I don't expect you to go too far into it, um, but just how did it affect your family and your relationships with the people that you love the most? Um, oh, it breaks down every relationship, every, everything. Um, your parents can't trust you. Your parents have a, a vision for you, especially, um, you know, like uh, just in different, like no, no parent, you know, like here's just one 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 story. I was at a homeless shelter. I couldn't be in the, in the house. It was Salvation Army rehab slash homeless shelter, so they didn't have a bed, and you could stay in there in the homeless part until they had a bed opening for a rehab. So you go through de- detox. After your detox, you go to the to the homeless part while you're waiting for a bed in re in rehab. My dad came to bring me just a little bit of money, like ten twenty bucks, so I could get something to eat. And we're standing outside of the the homeless shelter. He says, Alex. He said, I just wanted to be as proud of you. I, I just want to be as proud of you as I was the day I brought you home from the hospital, right? Right. So from within a dad context, you bring this child home from the hospital. You have all these dreams for him, these visions for him. You hold them up here. Uh, 20-some-odd years later, you're bringing them money to a homeless shelter because they're strung out on drugs, right? So in my view... I know it creates like the stealing is bad and all that's bad and they can't trust you, but the crushing of the dreams that you have for your children. Like I crushed my dad. And in, in that moment, like he had faith and he, they believed that I would come out of it. Right. But in the moment I was hurting them. I was living beneath this, this, but I was also destroying their faith that I could be something greater. Right. Right. Like I was taking their hope. Right. And for me, that's, that's like, what else do we have but hope? Right. Is that ultimate disappointment that you knew that you were leaving? And I think Mm -hmm. little kids have Mm -hmm. that. Even when they mess up just a little bit, um, they have that. That's why I was like, especially like my daughter, um, 
if you have to get onto her for something, she gives you that look and starts to cry. Yeah. And it's almost like she knows, like you broke her heart because she messed up and it hurts your feelings or mm-hmm. whatever. It, it, it created a point of disappointment yeah, and they don't want to ever let you down. So yeah. I can completely relate to that. That's uh yeah, it is crushing to be a child and let your parents down. And yeah, I, I completely yeah. understand that. Um, but yeah, this, I said, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, but man, it's fantastic testimony, man. I appreciate you. You come on, coming and leading us through that whole thing um, and getting as deep as you did into it. Yeah. And, um, and we, and we'll, we'll, uh, like I said, with this podcast, we'll get deep because I just touched like, if we have one where we talk about addiction specifically, getting into like the genetics and the family line stuff, that some of that's super interesting. And, um, I, 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 I love, that's what my whole degree's about. So I love deep diving into that stuff. You know? I think we can make that happen. Yeah. We'll definitely make that right. happen. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, not at all. God is good. Absolutely. The only reason I'm standing here is because of God. It has nothing to do with me. Um, he brings me to tears almost every other day, thanking him for the life that he gave me and the life that he kept me from. So um, that's it. Yep, and I'm going to throw this out here. Guys, uh, if you're looking for an on-fire pastor, um, if you're in the St. Louis area, man, drop on in to Messenger Church on Sundays. Uh, you can even do Wednesday nights if you want to. Um, Sundays, man, uh, pastor had a good one today. Uh, yeah, it definitely yeah. moved me a lot today, um, but he never fails. He He delivers amazingly uh get down to messenger church in fenton uh summit road i believe is where it's at uh, i don't know the exact address 602 summit road there fenton, we go. missouri 63026 <laughs> the man that works here knows what the address is <laughs> i've been here 34 years <laughs> um other than that guys uh thanks a lot for listening uh this is ignite your faith we are the bearded christians you can find us on all the major uh podcast channels spotify uh we're on iHeartRadio. um just you know literally look up our name and you'll find us um if you want to you can also get on our youtube channel um that is uh just look for ignite your faith i'm pretty sure it'll pop up on youtube if you would rather watch the uh well basically watch me make funny movements with my belly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, other than that guys thanks a lot for listening uh we love you guys stay blessed and peace out thanks a lot